At the T-minus three-minute mark, tape recorders on board the spacecraft were turned on. These recorders record both voice and data. LP operating out of Burlington, Vermont, 105.9 The Radiator. Good evening, it's the Rocket Shop. I'm your host, Tom Proctor, and with you tonight is Jason Baker. Hello. Hi, Tom. How are you doing? I'm good. Welcome back to the Rocket Shop. Thank you very much for having me back. I really appreciate it. You know what? I, I probably said the end of last time, uh, we'd always be glad to have you back. So I'm, I'm glad you came through with it. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I finally have something new to show off. So I will. Well, talking of which, we always like starting with a song. So what have you got for us? This will be the title track of my uh, new album, which is due out in <laughs> any day now. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. It's called Common Man Blues. so hot I work both night and day to make some bread to make some bread yes I take whatever they will pay I'm just a man a common man singing that common man blues well the time has come the time has come the time has come for the people to rise and make it right strike but you can look into our kids eyes but I'm just a man Thank you. 
Jason Baker with a title track from his new album, Common Man Blues. Thank you very much. And uh, so, new album. Um, and I'll, I'd like to start to talk a little bit about about that title track and um, and why you selected that particular song, or really why you picked this particular title for your album. Well, a couple of reasons for that. So, so the song starts with, uh, as you might note, a sort of cop on the fanfare for the Common Man by Aaron uh, Aaron Copeland. Uh, not not accurately played, I might note, <laughs> but I noticed that it lent itself to a sort of blues interpretation, a blues interpretation of that sound. Um, and of course, I just thought, it's, you know, I, so I started there and I wrote a mess of lyrics. Mm. And I was trying to fit them into a blues, some type of blues form. Um, and then I happened to have the luck going to a folk music conference where there was a workshop, uh, well, actually a mentor opportunity with David Amram, uh, jazz piano player for uh, Jack Kerouac and the Beats and a composer of many avant-garde symphonies and things like that. He, he goes to these things and he's happy to jam with people. Hmm. Um, and uh, he was exploring, he, he said, let's just do it as a 12 bar. Because 12 bar has got a really great, uh, you know, there's a lot there. And uh, so I ended up cutting, you know, we just rammed through it. He says, just sing it. And he started playing, and, you know, it's David Amram. <laughs> so he said, so I sang, and uh, I right on the spot just cut lyrics right on the spot and realized I didn't have time for, to sing this and I didn't have time to sing that. So all this extra stuff fell to the wayside, mm -hmm. and it was left with a, sort of a the core of the song. Um, and so that was really inspiring to work with him on that. Um, and just I think the I think I just like the idea of I like the idea of fan for the for the common man. I always liked the the piece when I was a, when I was a kid. Um, I, I, I like the notion of, uh, updating that in my way for, you know, in the, you know, my sort of style of music, um, uh, for, because I think it's time, you know, I think there's just a lot of talk about, you know, who is the person that speaks for the common man. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think the common man speaks for the common man is pretty obvious, not anyone else. Well, I was going to say, I, I thought it was an interesting turn of phrase coming on blues because the blues is the... Is is the songs for the common man? You don't get really. I mean, there's an ironic rich men blues, but <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, and, and but there was. It's a double. It, as with everything I do, there's a double meanings hidden there. Of course, uh, being uh, being an average person nowadays is kind of a bummer. Um, let's face it, the, the world's not in a great spot for your average Joe. Um, and um, you know, that's you know. That'll give you the blues for sure. So sing about it, um, you know. And and I, you know, and I do attempt as usual to point to solutions uh, within the lyrics without without being preachy, mm -hmm. as we talked about last time. Oh, well, I was, uh, in, in terms of the content of the lyrics, um, there's a focus there on climate change, um, yeah, which is uh, an issue that we're all facing, common or not. Um, uh, is this album got those similar themes throughout the throughout the the record? Is is there um, a spot on each track for that? Those wider issues are being experienced by all of us. Most of the tracks are, as with my debut album last year, most of the tracks are topical in nature. Mm -hmm. um, there's you know there's uh, one song that's a bit more personal, existential, called Entropy uh, Always Wins, and that's you know more of a you know. 
uh, you know, another life sucks kind of song. Mm. <laughs> but uh, then I also have a celebratory song about music called uh, "We Don't Know Any Better," mm. and uh, that song, that song, I got. Um, I got friends of mine to come and sing with me on my new recording. Rick Polari and Janice mm. Rosati uh, came and they sang. And Rick played the, for the first time, he played the banjo uke on a recording. He said he'd never been recorded his banjo ukulele or banjo lele, as some people call it. So he got to uh, work out his inner George Formby and <laughs> play, on, play on my little jug band song, but it celebrates music. However, the rest of the songs, uh, it's just what comes out of me. Um, I, you know, I had to, there's a point where I have to admit that that's what's happened, you know, that's what's happening in the world. And I think if I'm writing these songs, I write, as I said uh, in our previous interview, I write all kinds of songs on mm -hmm. all kinds of topics. But when you see a theme and a, and a consistent, um, or a consistent style coming out, it's good to go with that flow. So, yeah, so one of the songs is about species extinction. <laughs> one of the songs is about um, climate refugees. Um, um, and, you know, one of those, and it, but they go, not every song is, I've, I've sort of focused a little more tightly, I think, on issues and not, and, and still tried to walk that line of not being preachy, which is hard. Um, not just, you know, you can't really just say what, you can't just come out and say it in a lot of ways because that's not really reaching, that's not, you know, it's not fun. Mm. Um, so there's gotta be a way to say it that's a little bit funny, perhaps, um, a little bit, you know, uh, uh, intellectually stimulating, maybe hopefully, or, or any, you know, anything to, you know, to, um, com you know, to comment on the topic intelligently, um, and not just sort of point fingers or yell or whatever in a song. That's not really being an editorial is not what people are looking for. More of a story, right? I guess also you don't really want to just write a protest chant. You want to actually write a song. Uh, I would love to be able to write a protest chant, but they're hard, actually. They're really hard to write, <laughs> it turns out, um, to really like, a good one. Um, mm -hmm. It's not that easy, actually. And in fact, you, you can, I, you know, I dare you, it's hard. I mean, it's really, really hard to do uh, yeah. well, well. And the people who did write stuff that people can sing together in groups um, for those types of purposes... I, you know, I respect those people. I mean, there's nothing like Woody Guthrie or Pete Seeger, you know, mm -hmm. to hold up as your, as your standard for sure. That, that'll, that'll, you know, those guys are way beyond me in some, res in, in so many respects. Right. And you, you got to appreciate the ability to, uh, to, to give people a concise idea in, in just a few short words, or oh, sorry, a very complex idea in uh, some concise words. Pete Seeger said Woody Guthrie is a genius because he he's so simple. It, any idiot can do complicated, but it takes genius to do simplicity. Right. Um, and uh, that's really true in many ways, in, in so many ways. Although, you know, hey, I've played some of these songs and I've gotten people to sing along. So, you know, maybe some of them will, will work that way. Right. Uh, well, fingers crossed. Maybe some of them will take off, and you'll uh, you'll you'll have the next anthem sung at, sung at the uh, the climate protests. Um, well, it looks like you're all ready to get go for a song, and I'd love I, to hear another one. Well, I just wanted to make sure I was ready for whenever you whenever you're. Sounds like we're still in tune here. Yeah. So uh, I did. I you know I've got a, I've been writing a bunch of different types of issue songs that just popped out for different things. And some of them came out because I was concerned about the issue, and some of them the title or something else inspired it. This was a t just a title, um, a, a, a line that came out, uh, and so the title is uh, "You've Run Out of Places to Go," and it's uh, essentially attempts to capture the feeling of what it's like to uh, go homeless. Hmm. 
fence will set you reeling And life just rolls on without If this was a movie It'd be a black comedy If this was a play It'd be called a tragedy You try to speak But the words don't flow You never felt so goddamn low There is no one left That you know Places to go by Jason Baker there, and uh, so you know, taking a different bit of a different tack, still a socially conscious song. Um, I was curious about how you pick the subjects that you end up writing about. Is it that you're just reading the newspaper or going online, or is it you're really actually uh, laying down these items that mean mean things to you? How how is it that you pick these uh, these ideas? Well, in that case, the 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 uh, that phrase "you've run out of places to go" was offered as a song prompt, as a theme, really not as a title prompt. But I took it as a. Te- it's too long for a title, but I so naturally, you know, like to buck rules and mm-hmm. decided I'm going to use it as a title. And it really ended up, uh, I think, working out for the for the song itself. Okay, um, and I think the important part for that was to say to myself, all right. It suggests, uh, you know, the suggestion in that popped in my head as well. It was home was just what is the feeling, and so I attempted to try and tell a story from the point of view of the person to some extent. Uh, you know, uh, who was experiencing a whole bunch of series of bad luck and having life just go wrong because that's how you get homeless. Is not really, you know, it's not 
we have this now demonization of homeless people to the point where now poor people are being locked up. Um, and I think this is getting to getting out of hand because it's anybody. Anybody can get homeless with just a series of unfortunate events, as mm -hmm. they say. You know, just a couple different things and a missed paycheck and an accident, and suddenly, you know, you're out of, you know, you're out of your house and you're out of, and, and you're out of other and and it multiplies. Being mm -hmm. poor it costs more. It costs more to be poor than it costs to be rich. You you can't afford. A uh, good night's sleep. You can't work properly. You can't, mm -hmm. you know, uh, afford a dentist. You know, a, a, you know, a dental cleaning today. You're going to do a root canal next year. Right. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, you know, it becomes like a. a, a uh, there's a feeling when things happen like that that things are spinning out of control. And I was attempting to capture that in the song. That's, mm -hmm. you know, again, attempting to f capture, a f you know, have people feel a thought as Yip Harburg said. He's my, my favorite, one of my favorite um, songwriters, wrote uh, Brother Can You Spare a Dime and all the, mm -hmm. and all the lyrics for um, uh, The Wizard of Oz, including Summer Over the Rainbow. Mm -hmm. And he had a famous, wonderful quote, which is, um, words can make you think a thought, words, music can make you feel a, a feeling, um, but a song can make you feel a thought. And that's, you know, so that's where, you know, where I was headed with that, trying to get the feeling in there. When you write, is it often that you go into these prompts? Are you looking for these prompts to write something or is it, is that just a one arrow in your quiver, if it will? One of many things. Um, you mentioned like reading the news. There's, you know, I, there's songs that I do that are literally, you know, one, in fact, one of the songs on the album um is uh is just from a, watching the news one day basically for an hour and a half or so and kind of just noting the things that came up this litany of weird horrible and strange things um you know meant, you know that and, and, you know everything from the topic of the day of kids inside of cages you know mm -hmm. and that's that's a lyric in the song to a random iceberg blocking a town in greenland you know like or uh, the you know the leader of the Philippines you know committed blasphemy you know like just random headlines started popping and so it actually ends up you know informing the song a bit because it's like it, you know this it sort of sums up what the chorus is trying to say and that sort of thing so that you know those types of things do happen um, but it comes from anywhere it can literally come it's some it's several of the songs I wrote in this album the music came first and I thought well that's suggestive of something uh positive or that's suggestive of you know so i wrote you know, i actually tried to write I, I had one song that the first set of lyrics were awful mm. because they were just a list of complaints and, <laughs> and i looked at it and i'm like that's a terrible list of complaints i gotta stop that and so i decided this song this music is so beautiful i'm gonna write something positive so um that you know it, it'll take you in whatever direction your mind you have to, whatever direction your mind wants it to go in you it's important to be open to that that's actually one of the most difficult parts of songwriting is just being open to the moment when uh, your mind's just going to go do something and not edit it until you're sure you know you're sure you don't want it uh, until you've messed it up you're sure okay that's terrible or something mm. but give it a try right um because you never know what can end up as a decent song um, and you, you mentioned you went to this folk festival and you, you played it with some legends. Like Jack Kerouac's uh, piano? Yeah, David Amran played. He, he uh, became famous playing piano with all the beats. And he basically, he would just, 
he, he's just hanging around those guys right. and they needed a piano player. So if you listen to Jack Kerouac and you're hearing a piano player, have a good 50-50 chance it's him. Um, but he also wrote, um, write symphonies uh, based on Native American music and that sort of thing. You know, he's just a, a very, uh, he's, he's in his 80s now. I was so going to say, he's, he's quite he old. must be kicking it a bit. Yeah, he's, he's, he's still going though. He's still got all this, he's still crazy partying, at, like drumming at 2 a.m. in the morning. You'll see him there. But yeah, it's really great to meet. I got to meet, um, this is a folk music uh, industry conference, mm -hmm. not a, just a folk festival. So I got to um, meet uh, David Amram. Um, take a work a performance workshop with a guy named Vance Gilbert, who's just an amazing singer songwriter, uh, folk singer, po uh, performer. Um, meet uh, I, the keynote speaker was Dar Williams, so I I happened to just say to her as she was walking by, "I loved your book," and she stopped dead, and because nobody had mentioned her book on urban planning, which she had she came out with last year, and I was just like, "I love this book," and she's, "I just loved your book." I just wanted to say hi, and she stopped, and we took, and she's like, "I'm so glad somebody read my book." <laughs> so that was cool. She's like, "Are you an urban planning geek too?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I guess so. I, I, I care about the community. That's for sure." It's so. an interesting intersection of uh, of urban planning and folk singing. She Although wrote, not that unusual, actually, if you think about it. She wrote this book, uh, what I learned in a in a thousand towns, and it's about she went, she travels around, and she was able to see what works in certain towns and what doesn't work in terms of what she calls positive proximity. What creates a scene in a town is a difficult thing to quantify. What you know, it's a sort of a, there's a synergy that happens when things are just placed in a certain way and 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 are or organized in a certain way. And she noted, you know that. Uh, which town she you know sort of reviews I mean, these towns are doing it this way these towns are doing it this way here's the story of these towns that have created a, an, an ongoing urban music scene or whatever that is self-sustaining because of these three institutions or something like that she'll she'll mention it it's a pretty interesting book so what i was curious about is the the this folk symposium that you went to <laughs> it, it folk industry festival gathering um how much did that influence the album that you came and wrote? Because getting that kind of professional input must have quite an effect on the way that you perform and write and play. Uh, interestingly, it's a subtle effect, but it did occur. It was immediately upon returning home, I wrote two. I actually wrote two songs in a completely different fashion. Like I, I think I mentioned just a few minutes ago, writing music first, mm -hmm. and two pieces of music popped out. Like I mean, popped out out of nowhere and just. Uh, I, you know, had to come up with wor words for them, which was different. And, and in both cases, the social conscious, uh, socially conscious music of the, the, the entire conference um, uh, is, was focused on, uh, was focused on sort of social consciousness mm. in some, you know, in some sense. They, you know, uh, they, there was an indigenous music, you know, uh, gathering and, that sort of thing, and so there was things there, are, you know, things in that. So um, you might have seen on PBS the movie Rumble about Native American influence in music that was being shown there, and I and there was a little keynote speech on that. And one of the songs I wrote, I realized afterwards was exact, you know, was oh, it's in duple meter and it has a falling melody line, just like you know, grass dance powwow music, you know, of you know that I learned about in, in college and that sort of thing. So it's like it's in there. And stuff comes out when it's when it's stirred up in that way, um, so that it stirred up. Um, you know, the song about climate refugees was stirred up by Woody Guthrie songs that people were singing. You know, anything can bring it to the fore. Hmm. Well, I'd love to hear another song. 
What sure. do you got for us, Dan? Um, we're going to bring the harmonica, the harmonic key back for this one. Um, it's just for the intro, though. So, yeah, this is another uh, long title challenge. <laughs> And this is more of a generic uh, statement of the, you know, state of the state of the union, as it were. It's uh, when I heard when I heard this phrase, um, which was supposed to be a theme, again, not a title <laughs> or whatever. It's just somebody, it's the phrase somebody put out there. <clears throat> I decided it it, it works uh, for me, so it's called the Great Big Wide Open Divide. <laughs> This country is divided, and it's only getting worse. Everyone's decided, and now we're all cursed. Trapped in one position, by what we don't know. No thought above suspicion, for minds that do not grow. It's the great, big, wide, open divide. So big is now a thing of pride. It's a great, big, wide, open divide. It's them or us. You dare to pick a side. Please forgive the redundancy. It's just how we all talk now. It's all part of the lunacy. Wide open divide, a gap so big, it's now a thing of pride. It's the great big wide open divide. It's them or us, you better pick a side. You sounded almost proud of the uh, the gap at the end there. Well, people should not forget that pride is a sin, <laughs> perhaps. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your second album. Um, so it's it's out. It's not out. It's kind of out. The, the song's up on your website at the moment. Okay, so you can uh, go to my website, jbakervt.com, J-B-A-K-E-R-V-T.com, and you can stream most of the album. 
nine-tenths of the album <laughs> for free, except for the title track, which is sort of still being post-productioned um, just to get it right. Um, and uh, the, once that's done, the digital distribution and CDs will be ordered and all that. So it'll be... A, a, it, the problem with releasing things nowadays is that there's no hard date mm. on that. Uh, I, re- I submit it for digital distribution... Spotify will have it in a week, YouTube in two, or something, you know, in other words, there's no, you know, there's no way of predicting, but I'll announce them on my website, and you can find me on Facebook as well, and stuff like and Instagram, and I'll announce it on all of those things anytime something goes live mm. on a new service, I'll just announce, the album's on this service now, go get it, uh, if that's your favorite service, but for now... Uh, it's all, and it's all going to be streamable for free, uh, as my first album was. Um, you can, da- if you really want to download it, yeah, you can pay, and that would be awesome. I, it would be nice to have the money, um, but uh, my feeling is people should hear the music, and so it, it's streamable for free anytime. And at the website jbakerbt.com, you can go ahead and stream right there on the website. Wonderful. And so this is your second album. And I've talked a lot with with other artists about first album versus second album, and often uh, a lot that happens in the second album is a reaction to the lessons learned in the first album. So what what lessons did you learn in the first album? Uh, How did this alter the second album? And looking forward, what lessons have you learned in this one that you might might change for the next? That's a great question because there are a lot of lessons learned. Anytime you do anything like this, you learn more and more each time. Um, from the first album, I learned to... Uh, so the first album had 22 songs mm-hmm. on it. So this, <laughs> this album's 10 songs. So that's the first lesson I learned is that um, much as I might like to include everything that I really, really think should be not, you have to make some, uh, you have to make some more decisions and mm-hmm. I can just release a different album. If I, I definitely have more material, um, ready to go. In fact, I have several, I have like three other albums in my mind ready to roll already. So it's kind of, that's the other, that, that's the lesson I would learn there is like segment things by, you know, a little, a little more so that, cause it's not digestible in such huge amounts. No one is going to even bother trying to tackle that, um, except in bits and pieces. Mm -hmm. So um, songs that might have made it on this album are now going to be actually, I got six songs already written for a musical about the political situation in Burlington, Vermont, um, which if anybody's out there and wants to do a musical, contact me. That's a niche musical right there. Yeah, it's sure it is. (laughs) Um, Well, I don't know. It could be, there could be universal lessons in it. Um, And, um, and then I, you know, in other words, I have several other albums already from that, you know, experience. Like, say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really think about what I'm gonna put together, what, what hangs together. Uh, so that's the fir- from the first album, the main lesson there, and the second was to do better, to try and engage other people and help for getting better recordings. Mm-hmm. Most of that was just done by, you know, one, one mic, one take, in front, you know, myself, um, with some overdubs. Uh, here and there, um, or a friend sitting and playing guitar with me. Um, and you know, I, this time I went, I did most of the, you know, the majority of the album is done in studios. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, I'll just shout out to Robot Dog Studios and Leilani Studios, Leilani Sound Studios. And, um, I, you know, and uh, that made a lot of difference in the way the sound comes out uh, so far. Um, and that's, you know, I think it sounds, you know, just a little bit better than what I could do on my own. For sure, even if I had all the time in the world, I, it, you know they can do 
they can, the mics, you know, start with better mics, you start with any type of thing like that. So that's the other second lesson from the first album. Now this one, I would say the time, the lesson I'm going to learn is, uh, is, is just not an easy one to, that to resolve, which it, but it is, it, so you can take any number, any amount of time making an album. There's no, there's no too much time making an album. And that's kind of a bummer because I kind of want, I just need to get this out because there's so many other things that I, you know, I just need the songs out there. So I could go back through this right now and add so many things or change so many things already. Um, but I just don't really feel, you know, I feel like I've done, you know, like, you know, I did a good job on this. I don't need to change it again. In other words, there's always something you want to do more on, I guess is the, you want to continue, um, to add or tweak. And there's a point where you have to let go and get it done. And that's, you know, so there's no, there's no limit to the amount of time if you have the money <laughs> that you could put into making an album and making it better and better and better. Although I imagine there must be some point where it just, it doesn't get better. But, uh, you know, I think you, you either, are, either are satisfied or you start screwing it up mm. because your mind starts going or something. Um, that's possible. I've not, I've not had that luxury. I would say of, of being in the studio too long, oh, con sadly. Conversely, uh, it seems, I've, and I've spoken to a couple of, of artists that uh, have got lucrative day jobs, should we say. And um, yeah, it, when, when you do have the resources, it's also very easy just to stick down a quality album in a very, very short amount of time because you can just rock up to the studio whenever and pay the fees and and get something out there if it really is pressing in your own head so i mean it's kind of that there's the juxtaposition there so is uh if like 99 percent of the rest of us where we don't have that luxury you kind of sit in that middle kind of that space well preparation is uh, also key i mm -hmm. guess is that in that case you know is like if you have you know when it when your time comes be ready and know what kind of know what you want. Also, at the same time, be open to things happening and people, other people's ideas. Um, but yeah, if you're not if you're not rehearsed or people don't know their parts or something, you're just wasting time. That kind mm -hmm. of thing. That's not going to work. Um, but yeah, it it can go. I say there is no. I I've not had that luxury, and I would love to have the luxury of having more studio time. And that's mm -hmm. the lesson I guess I would I would say is the thing. I, I can't I can't wait to do it again because it was fun, uh, mm -hmm. especially bringing in guests like Rick Polari, um to play, uh, you know, he played uh, banjo and you, banjo uke and sang and played the kazoo and had a friend playing the tambourine and singing along to songs. And, and it's really fun. Um, it's more fun than you might, even though it's work, mm. it is work. It, it is just more fun with other people. And the more people you can involve, uh, it, it, really, it really made it for a great experience for me. Rick really brings it energy as well. We've we've interviewed Rick a few times, and the level of experience that he brings to the table is immeasurable. Um, the songs that he sang on is a kind of a notable difference. It's a kind of a there's more depth. Can you can you feel his energy come through? Well, you can certainly yes, you can certainly hear because he makes a point of. Um of uh, singing something different than whatever everyone else is singing. And he's got it, like me, he has a good, uh, deep baritone voice. So he noticed that, you know, he decided to take the low end. And so you can hear him sort of, you know, bellowing on there. And, and it's kind of, and it's cool. Um, and then 
and it contrasted by by the kazoo on the same track, which is kind of it, it adds a kind of zaniness to the whole thing, um, and that was that's really nice. You know, it was just nice to have fun, let let people have people come in and just add something that they felt was, and they were amazing. The, the Janice Rosati came in and added harmony vocals. And, you know, having basically heard the tracks maybe 24 hours before, she worked out her own harmony vocals. They were perfect right out of the bat. You know, mm. you can't, can't beat musicians like that. That's just a great, that's a great feeling to hear. And uh, it, was, it was fun beyond, beyond what I was expecting, I guess. That was, I was expecting a grind. Mm. And it was a lot more fun than that. Well, so you said you've got, you've got songs already stacked up waiting to, to be made into a third album. This album only came out a year after your first one. So what are your plans for your third one? And uh, kind of harking back to the question I asked before, what, what would you do differently in this third album? Well, that's the thing. I might do a couple different things. For a third album, I might throw out because I uh, have the opportunity. I might have the opportunity to do so cheaply. You know the way way I'm set up right now. I can add a second. You know another distrib digital distribution, and I might take some of the stuff that I've got as work tapes and throw something out there as well. That's you know not worrying about it is another lesson to learn. Is that you know it depends on what you're going to do with it. But I wouldn't promote that as like this is my third album. I would just say like this is my collection of stuff. It's another album. It's fun or whatever. It's extra things if you like it. You know, part of this is there's songs that I don't that aren't part of my brand as a as a performer, and that might be nice to actually have them out there, but not present them as this is my branded stuff, which is you know topical songs. These are these are you know my silly jazz songs or whatever you know whatever you know my these are my weird folk songs or whatever it is that's not in that normal genre it might be nice to throw some of that stuff out of there just to get it out but as i just said i've got these other notions of a formal album and that i've got a lot more material essentially that's in development that i would like to f that has a very traditional folk feel for example and i'd like to develop that some of that's written some of that's not fully written, you know, and some of that's partially written. I'd like to work, you know, like to see where it goes. Um, in that vein, I'm, I've talked with Rick and uh, Rick Pillary, and I, he did. He, he and I are talking about doing an album together of tr just strictly traditional folk music because uh, we had such fun mm -hmm. um, of just strictly traditional folk songs that are, you know, public domain and and just having a good time doing that. And that I would love to take some time on and make it, you know, you know make each track you know a unique item uh add exactly what is needed and not anything more and that mm. so so that's where i would be more like so something like that might be fun to do next a more careful album but also like i said just taking the stuff and just throwing it out there letting people mm. hear it that's also appealing to me yeah i like the idea of a concept album especially with with rick and maybe doing something a bit different um because yeah two albums in two years you, you kind of maybe need to take that uh, step back from your own work and do something else for for a little while and come back into it in order to get that different perspective. But I don't know. I mean, if you got if you got those songs in your head, you sometimes just need to get them out. Well, uh, that's the question. Um, so we were talking earlier about the type of like the people who write protest songs and mm. things like that. And obviously, my music. Some people would say, "Oh, it's protest music," but. Maybe a couple of these songs. I don't see people chanting them in a march necessarily. It might be some sing-along potential there for some of this, but eh, you know, it's topical material rather than a protest song. Um, uh, 
or as uh, as the manager at Radio Bean described it to a customer, he said, "What is this?" Oh well, it's socio-political Americana. That's what she came up with, and that was I was like, "That's reasonable." Um, I use, you know, I think of the, you know, I, I feel that um, when I started out writing, I thought I was doing singer-songwriter stuff, and then people were so, and then depending on the person's personal place in music, they would say they would either call it some, they would call it some uh, some genre based upon whatever their their genre was. So a, lot, a fair number of people would say, "Well, that sounds like folk music." Um, not, you know, like, okay, it's a guitar, you know, acoustic guitar and a guy singing, but not everything that's an acoustic guitar and a guy singing is folk music. But okay, and then other people, you know, so the country people would say it sounds like Americana, the Americana people would say it sounds like folk, the folk music people would say it sounds like rock music played on an acoustic guitar, and that's, you know, everybody would say something different about it. So I, you know, the, the genre for me is, it comes, when I really analyze it, the music is, is, is sort of based on folk music, folk roots, that, you, know, looking, you know, looking honestly at it, I didn't really realize I was doing that, but that's just sort of naturally what I gravitated to. Um, blues, bluegrass, ragtime, country blues, that whole variety of certain types of acoustic-based, typically, music. Um, so they have a respect for all, essentially old-time music is what I would you know, call the base of the music. But the lyrics are completely not old time for the most part up until this point. And I think one of the things that those people who wrote great protest songs did was manage to write stuff that sounded as old as, as the tree, you know, as, as old as the hills, you know, mm. and that's hard to do effectively and on and still be honest, um, you know, not trick people, but, on, but write in a way that's honest and um, a little more. A little, you know, a little more poetic and less modern um, in perspective, perhaps, but still modern enough in perspective. In other words, you know, not hearkening back to some fake nostalgia or something, but uh, you know, just hearkening back to a different type of expression. Mm. Um, there's some, I, and I can't put my finger on it. I don't know that it's necessarily just an old thing, but there's something about certain language that that you know brings people together to sit, that allows the way the language and the music go together that allows people to sing together or, or moves them to do so i'd be interested in coming up with stuff that reached into that depth that's where i'm trying you know it's sort of so it's, it becomes a how do i push what i'm writing to become um you know less you know more like that, less like the other, you know, less intellectual, mm -hmm. more feeling, less, you know, or, you know, or whatever it is that, ta that it takes, whatever it is that it takes to, you'll know it when you see it kind of right, thing. You right. won't know, and it's hard to define, if I knew how to define it in actual, I'd be there already. Mm -hmm. So um, when I know it, when it happens. But you turning those dials to the right point until you think you've got it right and, and it resonating with those around you. You have to try it, yeah. You, well, songwriting is a whole lot of failure. Um, you, you just, you know, that line stinks, that line stinks, this this whole song stinks, like, you know, or, and I've, and part of my practice is to complete a song and be like, that's done, right. <laughs> put it aside, and just say, I'll save it, but it's terrible, mm. uh, and to say, I, you know, but for the exercise of knowing that something's, oh, that was a, okay, that was a dumb idea, halfway through, maybe I'll abandon it, but sometimes I'll just finish it just to prove I can do it. Right. And then I'll just say, boy, that was dumb. <laughs> what a dumb song. But I, I, parts of it might appear in another song, a chord progression, a single phrase, something might come out of that. So it gets put in a, it gets put in a, in a folder called meh. 
That's what I call it. <laughs> well, I'm glad it at least gets recycled and put puts to good use, even if you, even if initially it doesn't seem like it's worth much. Well, I got the idea from uh, a John Prine interview. It was an old interview, so I, I assume he's upgraded to actually working on a computer. But he talked about someone said, "When do you, you know, how do you get inspiration for writing songs?" He goes, "I don't. I get up in the morning and I go to my office. I'm usually there by nine. I write ten songs a day and I leave at five. And most of them end up in the recycle bin. And I just thought, wouldn't I love to clean out that recycle bin? <laughs> yes. <laughs> John Prine's throwaways, you right, know. Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, it, you know, he just, his point is you just, you just do it over and over and over again. That's, he's a prof- you're a professional songwriter, you just keep writing songs. And he said most of them are terrible. Right. Most of his songs. To think well, about to, that, to, on, to John Prine. In his, in his perspective, they're terrible, I'm sure, to many people, it'd be absolute gold. And um, we've got about time for one last song, but before you go, um, please plug any uh, gigs you've got coming up, and uh, let's hear that website again. Okay, I'll be at Radio Bean tomorrow night, uh, Thursday night at 8.30, uh, and then I'll be down at Gusto's in Barrie on the 27th, I believe it's 27th, yeah, 26th or 27th, um, and uh, later this month, in other words. And um, I'm, I'm actually going to be uh, going to the... Ripton Community Coffeehouse open mic this Saturday night. There's a wonderful band from Sweden playing. They, they sing protest music. I've secured a spot in the open mic, and it's really a lovely... If, if anyone listening hasn't been to the Ripton Community Coffeehouse, it is a really great experience. It's a lovely listening room, and it's like only 10 bucks. So um, that's that. And the website is, again, jbakervt.com, J-B-A-K-E-R-V-T.com. It's pretty easy to remember. And... Um, that's where you can stream my music for free and buy it if you really like it. Wonderful. Well, what song you got left to play us out with? Uh, we're going to do... Uh, this is a song that Rick, uh, Rick and uh, Janice guested on on the album. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a climate change-related uh, one. We knew we had to get to that at some point because we can't do, can't do the rocker shop. I can't do the rocker shop without playing a climate change song, right? I have to mention it somewhere. Uh, it was inspired... This one was inspired by a news item which is uh, Harvard and Bill Gates signed some agreement, you know, and other people signed an agreement to work together on geoengineering a solution to block out the sun to combat climate change. Mm. And so I just, the absurdity of the whole notion, uh, you know, of course, I think there was a Facebook comment. Someone said, of course, let's not, you know, fighting, you know, getting rid of capitalism is just too hard. So let's fight the sun. (laughs) So uh, this song is called Let's Fight the Sun. Fight the sun, even though we know there's a catastrophe of ruin. Let's fight the sun, even if you can't prove that it was Big Oil who did it. Let's fight the sun, even though we know they knew the truth and then they hid it. Let's fight the sun, yeah, blocking out the sun is usually a job for the moon. Expect an eclipse every day at noon. Let's fight the sun, yeah. Let's fight the sun, even 
by the sun Even though we knew exactly what we should have known Let's fight the sun Even if we do agree that people are to blame Let's fight the sun Even though it's kind of late at this stage of the game Let's fight the sun Yes, well, of the sun Perhaps you did not think this Sun might not be a smart thing to do. Let's fight the sun. Let's fight the sun. Let's fight the sun by Jason Baker playing us out. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, as I said, many times. Um, so join us next week. We have got a great show coming up. Uh, Dwight and Nicole will be in and Maple Run. I will not be here. So either our good producer Bob will be interviewing or someone else. We have some people lined up. So uh, and even a more special uh, Rocket Shop lined up for you next week. Um, I'll be back in two weeks, uh, so ciao till then. Good night.